You're listening to Campus Review Radio. This is Carl Treacher, and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of HEDEX, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. This week on HEDEX, we talk to Jan Owen AM, the former CEO of the Foundation of Young Australians, who spent her entire career focusing on the changing views of young people entering the workforce and how the workforce itself and its environment has changed and continues to change. Welcome, Martin. Thanks very much, Carl. It's um, a very different sort of conversation we're going to have this week. We've had a lot of, lot of conversations about what's happening within the sector, how the sector's responding. Um, and indeed, that perhaps mirrors the sort of conversations that, that is happening in the chanceries of our universities. But really difficult when you when you get such a focus internally to also have your eye on what's happening outside in the outside world. And the importance of do, doing that couldn't be greater right now. And have you had experience with Jan prior to, to that interview? I have. She um, she was a, a keynote speaker at a conference of the Innovative Research Universities at, a, at its annual conference over in Murdoch University in Western Australia a, a little while ago and um, caught the attention of the crowd there of, of just about the importance that's been building for some little time of how universities have been so long in association with their own staff and their own academic workforce and the professions that they serve and others. But that, that was serving them fine when we had a stable and unchanging situation in terms of what young people think and what the, the nature of the workplaces were. But as, is, as we all widely understand, the future of work is becoming faster changing, more uncertain. And new generations have very radically different and more ra- radic- rapidly changing views about what they're looking for from an education. A time when we, when we have to look in lots of different directions all at the same time. So help me understand this. Where, where does the sector get its information around young people's views? Um, well, it tries to do that in... in in a number of different ways. I mean, universities have activities where they design products, where they um, develop products in the nature of courses, where they un- where they decide what sort of products to put out to the market. Um, and t- typically in doing that, the inspiration comes from often academics themselves. It arises out of research. It arises out of competitor analysis. And it quite often comes from talking with professional bodies and representatives of industry of what the gaps are, what people are interested in. But it's, it's seldom the case that we really listen to or seek a lead from what young people are interested in doing so. What we do do is then try and sell the products we've designed for them that we think are good for them um, and attract their attention to come and study them. Um, and that's where most of the effort in listening to young people has been of what they think of the products that we're offering them. I think there's an opportunity to broaden that conversation and think about how we deliver education, how we use technology, how we engage people as a equal two-way conversation. Gee, that's a very long answer. If I was to um, look at this, if I was to uh, to play this into the corporate sector, uh, for instance, we would look at uh, employee engagement scores from internal perspective. We'd do a culture analysis, and then we'd look at public sentiment and brand equity or brand health, right? So you're getting the inside and outside view. And, and from those experiences, you know, it's, it's almost like Sony and, and Apple. You know, you, you can't really take 
the research as being fact. You still have to keep your ear to the ground and listen to the water cooler conversation. So typically in a corporate environment, we pick up the more qualitative elements to people's perspective, being employees or prospective employees or cadets or anyone they're recruiting into the business through very, very subtle means, more so than traditional research means. So I'm fascinated to know where the industry is getting its intel right now. How is it getting to the hearts and the minds of the student body, be it existing student or potential student? Well, my observation after many years of working in the sector is that we, we don't do anything like enough of that. I mean, we, we probably over-survey our students once they've become students about what do they think about the learning experience. We ask them because we're required and regulated and have to comply with the need to do so about whether they get jobs after they leave us. Um, we ask them about the how they respond to the, the teachers and, and, and uh, education within individual parts of programs. But the idea of, of reaching out to and listening to and observing the trends that are happening in future patterns of, of employment and the changing nature of work or systematically understanding how young people are learning in different ways has not been part of our regular and, and, and committed approach to understanding our market for some little while. And it has to be. And if I again take it back to the more commercial environments, yeah, the, the typical Gallup, um, Sweeney reports of the 1980s and 90s suffered at the hands of the culture amps and the glints. You know, glint just got bought by LinkedIn, which is a always on information source where you're collecting intel. It's not a, a dip in the pond. Let's wait a few months and have another dip in the pond or an annual survey. It's an always on register and monitor of sentiment. And I feel like that's required here. I feel like we need to actually get to preempting and having some predictive intelligence around what it is that students are going to want and need, not in 2030 and not even in 2025, but, and we'll get into it a little bit later in this interview, but actually 2022, I think we've really look at, looking at an acceleration point right now. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I can remember sitting in um, meetings in university executives around how we think about new course offerings and... The approach of just asking your mature and, and late career stage academic workforce that's been through one path what they think is good for the, 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 the next generation coming through is has been the dominant approach and I think it's becoming less well-serving of the needs into the future. Indeed, I've been in executive meetings of that nature where we've contemplated, you know, do we need to engage futurists thinking about what the future holds? Um, and as you say, it needs, it's rapidly accelerating to the need to the point of needing to be the near future rather than the far, far future. But how much do we get a future perspective of what young people want and what their work requirements are in the design of our programs and how we organize our universities? Not enough. So something fun that we've done uh, outside of the sector, one with a big, uh, uh, big supermarket chain one of the biggest ones and along with the with the leading insurance firm is exactly that so we go into a position of gathering the research from a, a future perspective and we do use look finding a, a reputable futurist is basically impossible but certainly economists and others that can um, agitate and aggregate information so that we have something of a perspective to what the future could look like um, before we then visualize it i mean in data visualization is one thing but actually customer journey or your market journey visualization of what the future looks like. Um, it's so powerful. We've done that with executive teams and boards for these big organizations so that they could actually invest, and we're talking about major investment here, to make sure that they have accommodated for the needs that are coming their way. And sometimes that can be you know, a new uh, 
environment for a workplace. You know, for for instance, we work with PwC, and PwC had come from a very traditional position from its brand and its uh, talent that it was, you know, that it was it was acquiring. But they knew that they weren't going to get the talent unless they had more of a tech feel to their environments and much more of a a tech and an innovation bent towards or slant towards their offering. And so both their major campuses or their headquarters in in Sydney and Melbourne, when you wander in there, you, you feel like this is actually equipped for not at the moment, but this is equipped for 2023. There's, you know, there's... Um, amphitheaters and, and, and semi-circular, fully immersive digital environments that you wander into that talk about, here's what your customer is going to experience. Let's now take you on the journey of building the strategy and building the operations to support that. And that's happened to um, a significant extent in the last five to 10 years in our universities too. I mean, the idea that build it and they will come um, sort of started to, to wane when we were building big conventional campuses with lecture theatres and finding that after week three or four no one was coming to them and we started to innovate in terms of social learning spaces and sticky campuses and means of trying to engage with students through the physical environment but for goodness sake we've just had 2020 there's, there's practically no one on our campuses and has been most of the year and so how we do that through digital engagement of students that are digital natives and being um, engaged with by people that have come through very different journeys is a major challenge. The the faster pace of change generally was always making it difficult for for universities, and that's where I first met Jan. As we'll hear in this interview, the the acceleration of that through the pandemic has just become acute. Why don't we have a listen to uh, your interview with Jan? So our guest on HeadX today is Jan Owen AM. Jan's widely known as a thought leader in the areas of the future of work, the perspectives of young people, and the collaborations that are transforming education and learning in Australia. And as the former CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians, Jan has long championed the cause and perspective of young people in the new world of work. She's now the co-creator of Learning Creates Australia and hosts her own podcast series, New Work Bites. Jan, welcome to HeadX. Thank you very much for having me, Martin. Great to be here. Great to see you again. And um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation to get a bit of a, a different perspective on some of the things that we've covered on this podcast series in recent times. We, we've, as you might expect, had a big, big focus on the plight of universities and the impact of, of the events of 2020 and the pandemic on them. But I imagine you will have had your own focus on other matters, on, on, on the impact of, of all that's happened this year on the plight of young Australians. Now, I mean, we, we can all read the, the headlines and some of the issues are obvious, but what in a nutshell have you been observing as the major implications of what we're experiencing this year on young people and how that's going to play out in the years to come? Yeah, I think there's three things, Martin. I think number one, um, obviously learning has been severely disrupted and uh, we're still holding our breath whether this is going to enable us to have our great leap forward in education and learning or whether we're going to try and bounce back and you know sprint back to the classroom and what we know as the old um, kind of world order as soon as possible but I think there is a lot of hope around the world that actually this time of having to uh, iterate and uh, try new things really quickly and get to a kind of a hybrid learning environment might might just help um, us sort of accelerate some of the trends that are already going on around learning. Um, and I think it's also kind of cracked open for us 
the experience of learning for many, many, many young people. So, you know, whilst lots of young people have really suffered from not having their social group or, or in fact, not having access to the, to the digital tools required for learning in kind of COVID times, and that's very serious. In Australia, I think the big surprise was that, you know, there's 2.5 million uh, households without the kind of connectivity that you need um, all the time to be able to do learning and without the hardware and devices and so on. So um, I think that's a really serious issue and I don't think we realised how serious it was. Um, and then other students, of course, some unlikely students, I guess, in some ways have thrived. Um, they've actually enjoyed being a self-paced learner. They've enjoyed just kind of checking in with teachers um, and kind of running their own race a bit. So. I think, you know, it's exposed to us this incredible diversity of learners and learner styles and learner environments and the opportunities to capture that as we kind of try to reimagine what Education Next might be. The other big item for young people, of course, and this does relate to universities, all higher and further education is uh, unemployment. Now we already were facing unemployment and underemployment as really significant issues um, coming into 2020. But again, those issues have been compounded and will continue to be compounded. And all the things that certainly our research at FYA said um, about things that might happen in 2030, everyone's halving that at the moment. And everyone's saying 2025, we're gonna see because of the changing nature of work, we'll see a lot more automation. We'll see a lot more, again, kind of learning on the job and expectation of people to have this new skill set that we always talked about was gonna be incredibly important, um, the new skills and capabilities even more. And then lastly, and the third sort of big trend I see is, um, you know, this kind of convergence in a strange way of all these really big social issues, whether it's Black Lives Matter or climate change, um, young people really found their voice um, in COVID. And let's just be really clear, not every country in the world, not pointing at anybody, but not every country in the world has handled COVID in the same way that the Australian governments have handled it. And there is a mistrust in government in institutions, which is really pushing young people to kind of forge forward as um, the new champions and pioneers of new ways of thinking and acting, whether it's um, what they expect of business or what they expect of government or what they expect of kind of the social security nets. Um, so those three things I'm thinking about a lot um, in all the work that I'm doing, Martin. That's a really rich picture um, you've painted there, Jan, of, of how there's been a real um, step change in what young people are thinking. You, you, you commented on their increased exposure to unemployment, but I wonder if I can ask that as a leading commentator on how the nature of the future of work has been changing. You've been, you've been commenting, commenting on that long before 2020. Is a similar thing happening, do you think, not only in the changes to young people, but how the future of work has been changed by 2020? What's your, what's your observations there? Well, you know, there's a, and you might remember this, Martin, in my presentations, for a long time I had a cover of the Time magazine from 2009. So 11 years ago now, and on it it had uh, this fantastic photo of sort of somebody wearing their kind of proper 
uh, trousers and uh, a guy wearing his proper trousers and, sh and shoes to work and up top he had a kind of a really casual shirt on and kind of was looking a little bit unkempt and it was basically the headline was say goodbye to your old boss say goodbye to the working ladder, the career ladder, say goodbye to um, working from one place and having one career for the rest of your life. And it was just a beautiful encapsulation of what has played out in the last 10 years, but has definitely been accelerated. So this shift in behaviours, so uh, I can be more productive at home, I don't need this massive commute time, I can use it more effectively, um, mixed with the largest downloads and the largest just searches ever on YouTube and Google for how can I learn dot 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 or how can I do dot 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 uh, massive 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 more than we ever expected um, and then also of course as I said this accelerated tools so it is quite remarkable how it's not quite so easy just to run online and do your business via Zoom um, when you rely on a set of technical skills and also interpersonal skills and um, a whole range of skills to do your job um, and to solve problems. And we've spent a lot of time in teams and building teamwork and collaboration, you know, offline in, in, the, in the working environment. And all of that has been changed and people have had to pivot and iterate and pivot and iterate to try and see if they can keep working and doing the work they're doing. So that acceleration, um, you know, we always said that by 2030, you'd be spending 30% of your time learning on the job. The value of the degree would decrease, not the value of it, but the, the, uh, the, the, the relevance of it would decrease as new technologies came in. And so we were looking at a really different environment where employers had to commit and invest in uh, employees. And you know, um, that now people are saying that's a 2025. Thing, not a 2030 thing um, and the other thing is you know as you say we had this casualized insecure workplace and and labor market and um there's nothing that i can see that says that we're not going to stay in that place in fact businesses are more risk averse than ever about taking on full-time staff so this idea of what we i describe as a career portfolio how will you manage a portfolio where you're doing some work for somebody else, some work for yourself, some work with some other people, all the new skills you need to do that. As you and I know, you know, we've gone, we've, we've gone rogue this year. <laughs> all the project management skills, all the financial management skills, all the things and the, and the entrepreneurial mindset. This is why we focus so much at FIA on, you know, really great initiatives that could uh, teach young people those things in real time in the real world um, just to get us there. But just think of all those things as accelerated. Well, you, you've, you've also long been an advocate for how education and learning, not just of a traditional form in universities, can help people prepare for those trends. What, what are you seeing that's happening in our education systems through this year to respond to and help people catch up with that accelerated agenda of their own circumstances and views of the world of work are, are we doing enough well i think i think we're in a bind right because um educators uh, at whatever level whether they're in school or in uh, higher or further education of whatever kind have also had to be really you know fast and nimble and agile <laughs> in adapting and 
you know, we're not, I, I think it would be wrong to say that every educator in the world is, you know, extremely adaptive and agile. It sounds like they should be, but uh, you and I both know that that's not actually the case. And in fact, I've, I've long said um, something which gets into a lot of trouble, but, you know, you could say that um, out of every profession, the most institutionalised profession is probably educating educators because often educators go to school go to more school, study to go and be an educator and then go back to school. Uh, and then they may also go to higher education or further education, but it's a pretty linear path. Um, and so we're asking people um, to kind of really think on their feet and to collaborate and to do things that are not necessarily what we've built into the system. Now, where those educators have, um, you know, already been playing with technology or or understanding their absolutely critical changing role, which is more than an educator, to be a broker, a facilitator, a disseminator, a curator, you know, a trainer, a coach, and then yes, also an educator, you know. So we're asking the profession to really change in a way that an excel that's accelerated. We're asking, um, you know, of the system and the school ecosystem a lot in terms of the, have you got the tools? Have you got the relationships with the parents and the students? Is everybody being served? What about the social emotional well-being of students and families in this kind of crisis? You know, suddenly now our educators are frontline workers. So I, I think we've done a lot, Martin. But I think in another world, if we had been more um, prepared, if I, I feel if we'd been a bit more 21st century fit, um, we would have done more and we would be doing more, but we've had to do the things that you have to do um, to be uh, prepared and ready and to keep going. And we haven't got much slack. You know, I always thought if I'd been the education minister uh -huh, um, of Australia or any, any single state or territory, in COVID or anywhere in the world, actually, I would have said, everyone, all bets are off. The only thing you have to do in 2020 is develop, design, deliver a project on 2020. What you've seen, heard, experienced, learnt. We will find a way to uh, assess, measure, you know, um, articulate, help you work out how to articulate what you've learned and we'll make that your assessment for 2020. And there'll be touch points so your teacher doesn't have to run around and work out how to do courses online every single week. Um, your teachers will genuinely become the curators, coaches, facilitators that they are brilliant at being and you've got one project. And at the end, by the way, then we will put all those projects in a time capsule for Australia for a hundred years time on the stories and the projects of young people that they produced in 2020 about without doubt the most disruptive year uh, in in all our lifetimes <laughs> that, that's that's such a, a fascinating idea and and your 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 concept there of being 21st century fit and the um extent to which some universities were or were not do, do you actually think that the changes that we're seeing mean that the the nature of the competitive environment for universities is such that 
in, in the past, maybe it was those that had had the longest history, the best research and the longest reputation that, that were the, the likely winners. And that, that's changed. It's actually those that are most 21st century fit that are best prepared for the future. Is, is that what you're describing? The university that actually joins up design, engineering, communications and social innovation, uh, that's the university that's going to have um, a really remarkable time in the future and, you know, has sort of fundamental research kind of embedded so uh, and then reaches out to business to help business solve real real problems and ensures that young people in fact every single young person uh, whilst they're through university is actually having a genuine 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 touch point um, you know a little bit TAFE-esque um, and I think we should just really change the relationships between TAFE and universities and senior secondary actually I would love to see an entire new landscape imagined that's actually genuinely student-centred, not institution and uh, employer-centred, uh, but really look at something different that uh, has much more porous boundaries, um, you know, as and the precedents are in other countries, as you and I know, and many know in Germany and Denmark and other places. I, I'm, I'm hearing you paint a picture there. We, we started the, the conversation today with that sort of acceleration of change in what young people were experiencing in thinking and the acceleration and change in, in the future of work. That last little bit of commentary you just provided there almost sounded like a, a summing up of how the whole world of, of universities and the markets that they're playing in, is, playing in has been really substantially disrupted. And it's a time potentially for universities that really succeed in reaching out to young people and preparing them for the future of work to to differentiate and change their strategies at this point in time. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and, and again, uh, let's, let's not pretend that there weren't people that are already sort of moving in this um, direction and that, you know, we also um, are still quite interested, I guess we are, and I think we are in, you know, what are the distinctive capabilities of some universities or, or um, distinctive areas of expertise, which would make somebody want to go there and, and, you know, specifically study that or what's the global network that a university is um, connected with and, and we will be able to be global again, I'm sure. Um, but what's that network that people are connected to where they can go and, you know, study and work and live in other contexts? I think there's still a high desire for all of that. Um, but I think the disconnect is um, one of genuine connectivity with the with the current world and environment and that's why I said I think actually watching science rise and get its kind of day in the sun has been really powerful and incredibly you know better than almost any kind of stem campaign it seems <laughs> or side of trams campaigns which we which we're very well known for in Melbourne you know it's just actually in the crisis when we could genuinely see the need for the expertise of the health worker, the scientists, the, the educator, you know, now the kind of scales fall from our eyes and we're, and we're actually, wow, you know, it's very important to have deep technical expertise, but as well as the capacity to, to have this general, um, you know, what we call the enterprising kind of skill set. So many complex challenges to solve and it's really beholden on us to, um, understand something that's very powerful, I think, and David Attenborough said it in his recent, um, I don't know if you saw his 
most recent, um, almost his, his witness statement, Martin. It's the most incredible, okay. incredible film. Um, and everyone should watch it. It's profound. Actually, you, you kind of can't watch or think about anything else for the next sort of 48 hours after <laughs> you see his, his witness statement. But, you know, what is, what is reiterated over and over and over again, which is incredibly important for future generations of children, young people now, is that we actually do have the tools, the capability, the resources and the means to deal with every challenge that we're facing. We're just not prioritizing and building the kind of collaborative frameworks and models and putting the resources and political will, all those things kind of coming together to, to ensure that we are genuinely stepping into the challenges now. Thanks very much for sharing all of those insights into how the world is changing and how it requires the world of universities to change. And thank you for joining us today on HeadX. Thank you, Martin, for having me. Good luck. So, Martin, what do you think? Uh, the, the, the most striking um, line that I thought Jan used in that was this concept of being 21st century fit. I mean, look, that was a wonderful explanation, I thought, of so many of the issues with how young people's views and, and expectations have cha- are changing, have always been changing and has now accelerated, and how the, the future of work is now a different future of work that, again, is, is coming at us more quickly than before. But this concept of being 21st century fit, what a lovely line. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think I think it is, and it talks about um, being able to interpret, understand, and then take action appropriately based on current needs, current and future needs. I got some feedback this week on one of our other podcasts where I think we were talking about brand equity and how younger people now hold up the tech firms uh, on a similar platform that they would uh, traditional universities, and that's probably a bit of a trend, and we're going to see more and more of that. So being uh, you know, 21st century fit means so many things. Well, I mean, for me, it means making the focus of your, um, of, of your state of mind and of your preparedness for the future based upon looking forward rather than looking back. I mean, universities have been around for hundreds of years, and so much of the, um, the measurement systems of universities are based on past performance. I mean, the, the ranking systems that we've been preoccupied with, there's, there's more attention given there to someone that might have got a Nobel Prize five years ago for research they've done 20 years ago than any semblance about how they're going to cope with next year. Now, stable times that don't change much, that's fine. 2020 is different. And for me, looking at different universities and how well they're positioned right now has to be a forward look rather than a backward look. And who might be most 21st century fit amongst our universities, I think, is a very different question to who ended the 20th century best. So you've got to look at this from a variety of views. Uh, you know, our, our parents, coming from a particular acceptance of autocratic society to some, extent, to some extent and very predictable existence to now having make your own, create your own adventure. You know, it's not, even, it's not even choose or find your own adventure, it's create it. Everyone's trying to be a creator. Everyone's trying to be an entrepreneur. You know, next year, apparently from something I was reading just today, that there's something like 10 times the amount of small businesses and entrepreneurs going to launch next year than they have in the last two years combined. So it's a, it's a very, very significant change in the way that young people see their career, their future, and what they need to be successful. And that excites them, doesn't it? I mean, you know, being of the same generation, we can see that in our own family settings, that 
the, the challenge to become job makers rather than job takers amongst the, the generation contemplating university right now is a, is a, is a reality. It's, it's a reality that's been made even more poignant and pointed out of the events of 2020. And if our courses and educational experiences and higher education experience isn't being tailored to meet that, its fitness for purpose for the 20th century that we're now left with has got to be really seriously under question. And do you think that our health check that we've been working with um, of late actually does a, a good job in sort of pushing into that space? Well, I, I, to be able to have developed a health check out of what you've seen happening in, in other sectors, financial services, tech and, and the rest of it, and to have it augmented with not only both of our experiences of higher education, but all the experts that we've been able to interact with on this podcast series and all of our workers' headaches to date, I think it's just been, we've just been so fortunate to take advantage of this point in time to have a means of an organization looking forwards and assessing how well, and objectively assessing against um, valid benchmarks, how well it's set for moving forward rather than how it's performed in the past. I think it's a vitally important tool. I'm bound to say that because we've been so involved with it, but I really think it's fit for our time. I think it's also a level of accountability. You know, those people that are the executives that are prepared to actually hold the mirror up and look at themselves and, and understand their shortcomings and opportunities in front of them and those that are almost too scared to do that. Well, I think courage is, um, you're talking about being scared. I think courage in the current circumstances is, it's, it's so easy right now to go through a big change management program, trim your staff, cut back on your budgets and leave yourself in the same shape largely and on the same trajectory that you were before all this ha- happened, hoping that things are going to come back. That's the easy thing to do. That's what everyone will, you know, everyone will applaud you for doing that quite probably. I don't think it's the right way. I, I think now is the time to, to substantially reset for us to think about the different ways that we want to come out of this year's experience. And I don't think just a slowed down, trimmed down version of last year's strategy is going to cut it. No, and I've got uh, sort of an inside line into some of the tech company thinking. And if you think that they're not seeing this as an opportunity for them to start mustering and developing themselves as an academy, at least, if not a, a bona fide learning organisation, you'd be, you'd be wrong. So, so I, I think that's absolutely right, Carl. What, 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 what I, the other lesson I took from what Jan said is the importance of partnerships, the, work, the importance of working across sectors of education, but also reaching out to and connecting with businesses and thinking about these issues of a future workforce and the future nature of work much more than universities doing it by themselves and again that's something that our health check specifically questions and and challenges universities to think about yeah it'll come down to at some point the key decision makers ability and and um willingness to to to, i suppose leave some of their emotional baggage behind because i think no one would stand up and say this is Look, there's a great sadness around loss to some extent of some of the the more traditional academic practices and the idea of a campus being something of a sanctuary for learning and exploration. Um, I imagine that's probably quite a deterrent or quite an obstacle for a lot of people to get their head around. I think to to talk about the emotion of it is absolutely right. You know, we've said on earlier episodes there's a lot of there's a lot of hurt out there in the university system at the moment. I have great admiration for our staff, academic and professional, who've perform miracles this year i i have great admiration for the brilliant vice chancellors of our university i encourage them to to reach out and take the courage 
to find the courage, to find the energy and to, to take the opportunity to really give it a go in these current circumstances and try something different. The, the times are crying out for it. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Carl.